What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today we feature the last chapters. There are still a lot of issues that need to be solved, and we're going to get to them now, beginning with Chapter 27, Changes and Chances. John Marshall Glenarm had probably never been so happy in his life as on that day of his amazing homecoming. He laughed at us, and he laughed with us, and as he went about the house explaining his plans for its completion, He chafed us all with its shrewd humor that had been the terror of my boyhood. Ah, if you had had the plans, of course, you would have been saved a lot of trouble. But that little sketch of the door of bewilderment was the only thing I left. And you found it, Jack. You really opened these good books of mine. He sent us all away to remove the marks of battle, and we gave Bates a hand in cleaning up the wreckage. Bates, the keeper of secrets. Bates, the inscrutable and mysterious. Bates the real hero of the affair at Glenarm. He led us through the narrow stairway by which he had entered, which had been built between false walls, and we played ghost for one another to show just how the tread of a human being around the chimney sounded. There was much to explain, and my grandfather's contrition for having placed me in so hazardous a predicament was so sincere, and his wish to make amends so evident, that my heart warmed to him. He made me describe in detail all the incidents of my stay at the house, listening with boyish delight to my adventures. "'Bless my soul!' he exclaimed over and over again. And as I brought my two friends into the story, his delight knew no bounds, and he kept chuckling to himself, and insisted half a dozen times on shaking hands with Larry and Stoddard, who were, he declared, his friends as well as mine. The prisoner in the potato cellar received our due attention— and my grandfather's joy in the fact that an agent of the British government was held captive in Glenarm House was cheering to see. But the man's detention was a grave matter, as we all realized, and made imperative the immediate consideration of Larry's future. "'I must go, and go at once,' declared Larry. "'Mr. Donovan, I should feel honored to have you remain,' said my grandfather. "'I hope to hold Jack here, and I wish you would share the house with us.' "'The sheriff and those fellows won't squeal very hard about their performances here,' said Stoddard. "'And they won't try to rescue the prisoner, even for a reward, from a house where the dead come back to life.' "'No,' 
said Larry. "'But you can't hold a British prisoner in an American private house forever. "'Too many people know he's been in this part of the country, "'and you may be sure that the fight here and the return of Mr. Glenarm "'will not fail of large advertisement. "'All I can ask of you, Mr. Glenarm, "'is that you hold the fellow a few hours after I leave to give me a start.' "'Certainly.' "'But when this trouble of yours blows over, "'I hope you will come back "'and help Jack to live a decent and orderly life.' "'My grandfather spoke of my remaining "'with a warmth that was grateful to my heart, "'but the place and its associations "'had grown unbearable. "'I had not mentioned Marion Devereux to him. "'I had not told him of my Christmas flight to Cincinnati, "'for the fact that I had run away "'and forfeited my right made no difference now, "'and I waited for an opportunity "'when we should be alone to talk of my own affairs.' At luncheon, delayed until mid-afternoon, Bates produced champagne, and the three of us, worn with excitement and the stress of battle, drank a toast, standing, to the health of John Marshall Glenarm. "'My friends,' the old gentleman rose, and we all stood, our eyes bent upon him in, I think, real affection. "'I am an old and foolish man. Ever since I was able to do so, I have indulged my whims. This house is one of them. I had wished to make it a thing of beauty and dignity, and I had hoped that Jack would care for it and be willing to complete it and settle here. The means I employed to test him were not, I admit, worthy of a man who intends well toward his own flesh and blood. Those African adventures of yours scared me, Jack. But to think, and he laughed, that I placed you here in this peaceful place amid greater dangers probably than you ever met in tiger hunting. But you've put me to shame. "'Here's health and peace to you.' "'So say we all,' cried the others. "'One thing more,' my grandfather continued. "'I don't want you to think, Jack, "'that you would really have been cut off under any circumstances "'if I had died while I was hiding in Egypt. "'What I wanted, boy, was to get you home. "'I made another will in England, "'where I deposited the bulk of my property before I died, "'and did not forget you. "'That will was to protect you in case I really died.' and he laughed cheerily. The others left us, stoddered to help Larry get his things together, and my grandfather and I talked for an hour at the table. "'I've thought that many things might happen here,' I said, watching his fine, slim fingers as he polished his eyeglasses, then rested his elbows on the table and smiled at me. "'I thought for a while that I should certainly be shot. Then at times I was afraid I might not be.' "'but your return in the flesh was something I never considered among the possibilities. "'Bates completely fooled me. "'That talk I overheard between him and Pickering in the church porch that foggy night "'was the thing that seemed to settle his case. "'Then the next thing I knew he was defending the house at a serious risk of his life, "'and I was more puzzled than ever. "'Yes, a wonderful man, Bates. "'He always disliked Pickering, and he rejoiced in tricking him. "'Where did you pick Bates up? "'He told me he was a Yankee, "'but he doesn't act or talk it.' "'My grandfather laughed. "'Of course not. "'He's an Irishman and man of education, "'but that's all I know about him, "'except that he's a marvelously efficient servant.' "'My mind was not on Bates. "'I was thinking now of Marion Devereux. "'I could not go on further with my grandfather "'without telling him how I had run away "'and broken faith with him. "'But he gave me no chance.' "'You will stay on here. "'You will help me to finish the house?' "'He asked, with an unmistakable eagerness of look and tone. "'It seemed harsh and ungenerous to tell him that I wished to go, 
that the great world lay beyond the confines of Glenarm for me to conquer, that I lost as well as gained by those few months at Glenarm House and wished to go away. It was not the mystery, now fathomed, nor the struggle, now ended, that was uppermost in my mind and heart, but memories of a girl who had mocked me with delicious girlish laughter, who had led me away that I might see her transformed into another, more charming being. It was a comfort to know that Pickering, trapped and defeated, was not to benefit by the bold trick she had helped him play upon me. His loss was hers as well, and I was glad in my bitterness that I had found her in the passage, seeking for plunder at the behest of the same master whom Morgan, Ferguson, and the rest of them served. The fight was over, and there was nothing more for me to do in the house by the lake. After a week or so I should go forth and try to win a place for myself. I had my profession. I was an engineer, and I did not question that I should be able to find employment. As for my grandfather, Bates would care for him, and I should visit him often. I was resolved not to give him any further cause for anxiety on account of my adventurous and roving ways. He knew well enough that his old hope of making an architect of me was lost beyond redemption. I had told him that, and now I wished to depart in peace and go to some new part of the world, where there were lines to run, tracks to lay, and bridges to build. These thoughts so filled my mind that I forgot he was patiently waiting for my answer. I should like to stay here always, but I can't. Don't misunderstand me. I have no intention of going back to my old ways. I squandered enough money in my wanderings, and I had my joy of that kind of thing. I shall find employment somewhere and go to work. But Jack, he bent toward me kindly, Jack, you mustn't be led away by any mere quixotism into laying the foundation of your own fortune. What I have is yours, boy. What is in the box in the chimney is yours, now, today. I wish you wouldn't. You were always too kind, and I deserve nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm not trying to pay you, Jack. I just want to ease my own conscience, that's all. But money can do nothing for mine, I replied, trying to smile. I've been dependent all my days, and now I'm going to work. If you were infirm and needed me, I should not hesitate. But the world will have its eyes on me now. Jack, that will of mine did you a great wrong. It put a mark upon you, and that's what hurts me. And that's what I want to make amends for. Don't you see? Now don't punish me. Come, let's be friends. He rose and put out his hands. I didn't mean that. I don't care about that. It was nothing more than I deserved. These months here have changed me. Haven't you heard me say I was going to work? And I tried to laugh away further discussion of my future. It will be much more cheerful here in the spring, he said, as though seeking an inducement for me to remain. When the resort colony down here comes to life, the lake is really a happy place. I shook my head. The lake, that pretty cupful of water, the dip and glide of a certain canoe, the remembrance of a red tam-o'-shanter merging afar off in an October sunset. My purpose to leave the place strengthened as I thought of these things. My nerves were key to a breaking pitch, and I turned upon him stormily. So Miss Devereux was the other person who shared your confidence? Do you understand? Do you, do you appreciate the fact that she was Pickering's ally? I certainly do not, he replied coldly. I'm surprised to hear you speak so of a woman when you scarcely know— Oh, yeah, I know her. Oh, yes, 
I know her. My God, I have a reason to know her. But even when I found her out, I did not dream that the plot was as deep as it is. She knew that it was a scheme to test me, and she played me into Pickering's hands. I saw her only a few nights ago down there in the tunnel acting as his spy, looking for the lost notes that she might gain grace in his eyes by turning them over to him. You know I always hated Pickering. He was too smooth, too smug, and you and everybody else were forever praising him to me. He was always held up to me as a model, and the first time I saw Marion Devereux, she was with him. It was at Sherry's, the night before I came here. I suppose she reached St. Agatha's only a few hours ahead of me. Yes, Sister Teresa was her guardian. Her father was a dear friend, and I knew her from her early childhood. You are mistaken, Jack. Her knowing Pickering means nothing. They both lived in New York and moved in the same circle. But it doesn't explain her efforts to help him, does it? I blazed. He wished to marry her. Sister Teresa told me that. And I failed. I failed miserably to keep my obligation here. I ran away to follow her. Ah, to be sure. You were away Christmas Eve when those vandals broke in. Bates merely mentioned it in the last report I got as I came through New York. That was all right, I assumed, of course, that you had gone off somewhere to get a little Christmas cheer. I don't care anything about it. But I had followed her. I went to Cincinnati to see her. She dared me come. It was a trick, part of the conspiracy to steal your property. The old gentleman smiled. It was a familiar way of his, to grow calm as other people waxed more angry. She dared you to come, did she? That is quite like Marion. But you didn't have to go, did you, Jack? Um, no, of course not. Of course I didn't have to go, but... I stammered, faltered, and seized. Memory threw open her portals with a challenge. I saw her on the stairway at the Armstrong's. I heard her low, soft laughter. I felt the mockery of her voice and eyes. I knew again the exquisite delight of being near her. My heart told me well enough why I had followed her. Jack, I'm glad I'm not buried up there in that Vermont graveyard with nobody to exercise the right of guardianship over you. I've had my misgivings about you. I used to think you were a born tramp, and you disappointed me in turning your back on architecture, the noblest of all professions. But this performance of yours really beats them all. Don't you know that a girl like Marion Devereux isn't likely to become the agent of any rascal? Do you really believe for a minute that she tempted you to follow her so that you might forfeit your rights to my property? But, but why was she trying to find those notes of his? Why did she come back from Cincinnati with his party? If you could answer me those things, maybe I'd admit that I'm a fool. Pickering, I imagine, is a pretty plausible fellow where women are concerned. For God's sake, Jack, don't speak of that girl as a woman. I put her in that will of mine to pique your curiosity, knowing that if there was a penalty on your marrying her, you would be wholly likely to do it. For that's the way human beings are made. But you've mixed it all up now and insulted her in the grossest way possible for a fellow who's really a gentleman. And I don't want to lose you. I want you here with me, Jack. This is a beautiful country, Indiana. And what I want to do is to found an estate, to build a house that shall really be beautiful, something these people hereabouts can be proud of. And I want you to have it with me, Jack, to link our name to these woods and that pretty lake. I'd rather have that for my neighbor than any lake in Scotland. These rich Americans who go to England to live 
don't appreciate the beauty of their own country. This landscape is worthy of the best that man can do. And I didn't undertake to build a crazy house so much as one that should have some dignity and character. That passage around the chimney is an indulgence, Jack. I'll admit it's a little bizarre. You see that the chimney isn't so big outside as it is in. And he laughed and rubbed his knees with the palms of his hands. And my bringing foreign laborers here wasn't really to make it easier to get things done my way. Wait till you've seen the May apples blossom and heard the robins sing in the summer twilight. Help me to finish this house. Then, if you want to leave, I'll bid you Godspeed. The feeling in his tone, the display of sentiment so at variance with my old notion of him, touched me in spite of myself. There was a characteristic nobility and dignity in his plan. It was worthy of him. And I'd never loved him as now, when he finished this appeal and turned away to the window, gazing out upon the somber woodland. Mr. Donovan is ready to go, sir, announced Bates at the door, and we went into the library, where Larry and Stoddard were waiting. We'll return with Chapter 28, right after this sponsor message. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And now, back to our story. Chapter 28. Shorter Vistas. Larry had assembled his effects in the library, and to my surprise, Stoddard appeared with his own handbag. I'm going to see Donovan well on his way, said the clergyman. Ah, it's a pity our party must break up, exclaimed my grandfather. My obligations to Mr. Donovan are very great, and to you too, Stoddard. Jack's friends are mine hereafter, and when we get new doors for Glenarm House, you shall honor me by accepting duplicate keys. Where's Bates? asked Larry, and the man came in respectfully, imperturbably as always, and began gathering up the bags. Stop, one moment, Mr. Glenarm, said Larry. Before I go, I want to congratulate you on the splendid courage of this man who has served you and your house with so much faithfulness and tact. And I want to tell you something else that you probably would never learn from him. Donovan! Donovan! There was a sharp cry in Bates's voice, and he sprang forward with his hands outstretched entreatingly. But Larry did not heed him. The moment I set eyes on this man, I recognized him. It's not fair to you or to him that you should not know him for what he is. Let me introduce an old friend, Walter Creighton. He was a student at Dublin when I was there. I remember him as one of the best fellows in the world. Oh, for God's sake, no, pleaded Bates. He was deeply moved and turned his face away from us. But, like me, Larry went on, he mixed in politics. One night in a riot at Dublin, a constable was killed. No one knew who was guilty, but a youngster was suspected. "'the son of one of the richest and best-known men in Ireland "'who happened to get mixed in the row. "'To draw attention from the boy, "'Creighton let suspicion attach to his own name, "'and to help the boy's case further, ran away. "'I had not heard from or of him "'until the night I came here "'and found him the defender of this house. "'By God, that was no servant's trick. "'It was the act of a royal gentleman.' "'They clasped hands 
and with a new light in his face, with a new manner, as though he resumed as a familiar garment an old disused personality. Bates stood transfigured in the twilight, a man and a gentleman. I think we were all drawn to him. I know that a sob clutched at my throat and tears filled my eyes as I grasped his hand. "'But what in the devil did you do it for?' blurted my grandfather, excitedly twirling his glasses. Bates, I still call him Bates, he insists on it, laughed. For the first time he thrust his hands into his pockets and stood at his ease, one of us. "'Larry, you remember I showed a fondness for the stage in our university days. When I got to America I had little money and found it necessary to find employment without delay.' I saw Mr. Glenarm's advertisement for a valet, and just as a lark I answered it to see what an American gentleman seeking a valet looked like. I fell in love with Mr. Glenarm at sight. It was mutual, declared my grandfather. I never believed your story at all. You were too perfect in the part. Well, I didn't greatly mind the valet business. It helped to hide my identity, and I did like the humor and whims of Mr. Glenarm. The housekeeping, after we came out here, wasn't so pleasant. He looked at his hands, ruefully. But this joke of Mr. Glenarm's making a will and then going to Egypt to see what would happen, that was just too good to miss. And when the heir arrived, I found new opportunities of practicing amateur theatricals and Pickering's efforts to enlist me in his scheme for finding the money and making me rich gave me still greater opportunities. There were times when I was strongly tempted to blurt the whole thing. I got tired of being suspected, and of playing ghost in the wall. And if Mr. Glenarm hadn't got here just as he did, I should have stopped the fight and proclaimed the truth. I hope, he said, turning to me. You have no hard feelings, Jack. And he threw into the sir just a touch of irony that made us all roar. I'm certainly glad I'm not dead, declared my grandfather, staring at Bates. Life is more fun than I ever thought possible. Bless my soul, he said. If it isn't a shame that Bates can never cook another omelet for me. We sent Bates back with my grandfather from the boathouse, and Stoddard, Larry, and I started across the ice. The light coating of snow made walking comparatively easy. Their plan was to take an accommodation train at the first station beyond Annandale, leave it at a town forty miles away, and then hurry east to an obscure place in the mountains of Virginia, where a religious order maintained a house. There Stoddard promised Larry asylum, and no questions asked. We left the lake and struck inland over a rough country road to the station, where Stoddard purchased tickets only a few minutes before the train whistled. We stood on the lonely platform, hands joined to hands, and I know not what thoughts in our minds and hearts. We've met and said goodbye in many odd corners of this strange old world, said Larry, and God knows when we shall meet again. "'But you must stay in America. "'There must be no sea between us,' I declared. "'Donovan's sins don't seem heinous to me. "'It's simply that they've got to find a scapegoat.' "'And Stoddard's voice was all sympathy and kindness. "'It will blow over in time, "'and Donovan will become an enlightened and peaceable American citizen. "'There was a constraint upon us all at this moment of parting. "'So many things had happened that day. "'And when men have shared danger together, "'they are bound by ties that death only can break.' Larry's effort to cheer struck a little hollowly upon us. "'Beware, lad, of women,' he importuned me. "'Humph! You still despise the sex on account of that affair with the Colleen of the short upper lip. Verily, 
Larry said, and the eyes of that little lady who guided your grandfather back from the other world reminded me strongly of her. Bah! These women! Precious little you know about them, I retorted. The devil I don't! No, said Stoddard. Invoke the angels, not the devil. Hear him, hear him, a priest with no knowledge of the world. Alas, my cloth! "'And you fling it at me after I've gone through battle, murder, and sudden death with you gentlemen.' "'We thank you, sir, for that last word,' said Larry, mockingly. "'I am reminded of the late Lord Alfred. "'I waited for the train at Coventry. "'I hung with grooms and porters on the bridge to watch the three tall spires,' he quoted, "'looking off through the twilight toward St. Agatha's. "'I can't see a blooming spire.' The train was now roaring down upon us, and we clung to this light mood for our last words. Between men, gratitude is a thing best understood in silence, and these good friends I knew felt what I could not say. "'Before the year is out, we shall all meet again,' cried Stoddard, hopefully, seizing the bags. "'Ah, and if we could only be sure of that,' I replied. And in a moment they were both waving their hands to me from the rear platform, and I strode homeward over the lake.' A mood of depression was upon me. I had lost much that day, and what I had gained, my restoration to the regard of the kindly old man of my own blood, who had appealed for my companionship in terms hard to deny, seemed trifling as I tramped over the ice. Perhaps Pickering, after all, was the real gainer by the day's event. My grandfather had said nothing to allay my doubts as to Marion Devereux's strange conduct, and yet his confidence in her was apparently unshaken. I tramped on, and leaving the lake, half unconsciously struck into the wood beyond the dividing wall, where snow-covered leaves and twigs rattled and broke under my tread. I came out into an open space beyond St. Agatha's, found the walk, and turned toward home. As I neared the main entrance to the school, the door opened, and a woman came out under the overhanging lamp. She carried a lantern, and turned with a hand outstretched to someone who followed her with careful steps. "'Ah, Marion!' cried my grandfather. It is ever the task of youth to light the way of age. The last chapter, chapter 29, is coming up right after this sponsor message. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, chapter 29, And So the Light Led Me. He had been to see Sister Teresa, and Marion was walking with him to the gate. I saw her quite plainly in the light that fell from the lamp overhead. A long cloak covered her, and a fur toque capped her graceful head. My grandfather and his guide were apparently in high spirits. Their laughter smote harshly upon me. It seemed to shut me out, to lift a barrier against me. The world lay there within the radius of that swaying light, and I hung aloof, hearing her voice and jealous of the very companionship and sympathy between them. But the light led me. I remembered with bitterness that I had always followed her, whether as Olivia, trailing in her girlish race across the snow, or as the girl in gray, whom I had followed, wandering, on that night journey at Christmas Eve. And I followed now. The distrust, 
my shattered faith, my utter loneliness, could not weigh against the joy of hearing that laugh of hers breaking mellowly on the night. I paused to allow the two figures to widen the distance between us as they traversed the path that curved away toward the chapel. I could still hear their voices, and see the lantern flash and disappear. I felt an impulse to turn back, or plunge into the woodland, but I was carried on uncontrollably. The light glimmered, and her voice still floated back to me. It stole through the keen winter dark like a memory of spring, and so her voice and the light led me. Then I heard an exclamation of dismay, followed by laughter in which my grandfather joined merrily. "'We're not afraid!' she exclaimed. I had rounded the curve in the path where I should have seen the light, but the darkness was unbroken. There was silence for a moment, in which I drew quite near to them. Then my grandfather's voice broke out cheerily. "'Now I must go back with you! A fine person you are to guide an old man! A foolish virgin, indeed, with no oil in her lamp!' "'Please, do not. Of course I'm going to see you quite to your own door. I don't intend to put my hand to the lantern and then turn back.' "'This walk isn't what it should be,' said my grandfather. "'We'll have to provide something better in the spring.' They were still silent, and I heard him futilely striking a match. Then the lantern fell, its wires rattling as it struck the ground, and the two exclaimed with renewed merriment upon their misfortune. "'If you will allow me,' I called out, my hand fumbling in my pocket for my own matchbox. I have sometimes thought that there is really some sort of decent courtesy in me. An old man caught in a rough path that was none too good at best, and a girl, even though my enemy. These were, I fancy, the thoughts that crossed my mind. "'Ah, it's Jack!' exclaimed my grandfather. "'Marion was showing me the way to the gate, and our light went out.' "'Miss Devereux, I murmured. "'I have, I hope, an icy tone for persons who have incurred my displeasure.' and I employed it then and there, with no doubt to its fullest value. She and my grandfather were groping in the dark for the lost lantern, and I, putting out my hand, touched her fingers. "'I beg your pardon?' she murmured frostily. Then I found and grasped the lantern. "'One moment,' I said, "'and I'll see what's the trouble.' I thought my grandfather took it, but the flame of my wax match showed her fingers clasping the wires of the lantern. The cloak slipped away, showing her arms a soft curve, the blue and white of her bodice, the purple blur of violets, and for a second I saw her face, with a smile quivering about her lips. My grandfather was beating impatiently with his stick, urging us to leave the lantern and go on. "'Let it alone,' he said. "'I'll go down to the chapel. There's a lantern in there somewhere.' "'I'm awfully sorry,' she remarked. "'But I recently lost my best lantern.' To be sure she had. I was angry that she should so brazenly recall the night I found her looking for Pickering's notes in the passage at the door of bewilderment. She had lifted the lantern now, and I was striving to touch the wax taper to the wick with imminent danger to my bare fingers. They don't really light well when the oil's out, she observed, with an exasperating air of wisdom. I took it from her hand and shook it close to my ear. Yes, of course, it's empty, I muttered disdainfully. "'Oh, Mr. Glenarm!' she cried, turning away toward my grandfather. I heard his stick beating the rough path several yards away. He was hastening toward Glenarm House. "'I think Mr. Glenarm has gone home.' "'Oh, that's too bad!' she exclaimed. "'He's probably at the chapel by this time. If you will permit me?' "'Not at all. A man well advanced in the sixties should not tax his arteries too severely.' 
I was quite sure that my grandfather ran up the chapel steps. I could hear his stick beating hurriedly on the stone. If you wish to go further? I began. I was indignant at my grandfather's conduct. He had deliberately run off, leaving me alone with a young woman who I particularly wished to avoid. Thank you. I shall go back now. I was merely walking to the gate with Mr. Glenarm. It is so fine to have him back again. So unbelievable. It was just such a polite murmur as one might employ in speaking to an old foe at a friend's table. She listened a moment for his step, then, apparently satisfied, turned back toward St. Agatha's. I followed, uncertain, hesitating, marking her definite onward flight. From the folds of the cloak stole the faint perfume of violets. The sight of her, the sound of her voice, combined to create, and to destroy, a mood with every step. I was seeking some colorless thing to say when she spoke over her shoulder. You are very kind, but I am not in the least afraid, Mr. Glenarm. But there is something I wish to say to you. I should like... She slackened her step. Yes? I am going away. Yes, of course. You are going away. Her tone implied that this was something that had been ordained from the beginning of time, and really didn't matter. "'And I wish to say a word about Mr. Pickering.' "'She paused and faced me abruptly. "'We were at the edge of the wood, and the school lay quite near. "'She caught the cloak closer about her and gave her head a little toss, "'I remembered well, as a trick compelled by the vagaries of women's headdress. "'I can't talk to you here, Mr. Glenarm. "'I had no intention of ever seeing you again. "'But I must say this—these notes of Pickering's. "'I shall ask Mr. Glenarm to give them to you.' "'as a mark of esteem from me.' "'She stepped backward as though I had struck her. "'You risked much for them, for him.' "'I went on. "'Mr. Glenarm, "'I have no intention of discussing that "'or any other matter with you. "'It is better so. "'But your accusations, "'the things you imply, are unjust, infamous.' "'The quaver in her voice shook my resolution "'to deal harshly with her.' "'If I had not myself been a witness,' I began. "'Yes, you had the conceit of your own wisdom, I dare say. "'But that challenge to follow you, to break my pledge, "'and my running away, only to find that Pickering was close at my heels. "'Your visit to the tunnel in search of those notes. "'Don't you know that those things were a blow that hurt? "'You had been the spirit of this woodland to me. "'Through all these months,' "'from the hour I watched you paddle off into the sunset in your canoe. "'The thought of you made the days brighter. "'They steadied and cheered me, "'and wakened ambitions that I had forgotten, "'abandoned, long ago. "'And this hideous struggle here, "'it seems so idle, "'so worse than useless now. "'But I'm glad I followed you. "'I'm glad that neither fortune nor duty kept me back. "'And now I want you to know that Arthur Pickering "'shall not suffer for anything that has happened.' I shall make no effort to punish him. For your sake, he shall go free. A sigh so deep that it was like a sob broke from her. She thrust forth her hand entreatingly. Why don't you go to him with your generosity? You are so ready to believe ill of me, and I shall not defend myself. But I will say these things to you, Mr. Glenarm. I had no idea, no thought of seeing him at the Armstrongs that night. It was a surprise to me, and to them. "'when he telegraphed he was coming, "'and when I went into the tunnel there under the wall that night. "'Yes?' "'She paused, and I bent forward, 
"'earnestly waiting for her words, "'knowing that here lay her great offending. "'I was afraid. "'I was afraid that Mr. Glenarm might not come in time, "'that you might be dispossessed and lose the fight, "'and I came back with Mr. Pickering "'because I thought some dreadful thing might happen here, to you.' She turned and ran from me with the speed of the wind, the cloak fluttering out darkly about her. At the door, under the light of the lamp, I was close upon her. Her hand was on the vestibule latch. "'But how could I have known?' I cried. "'And you had taunted me with my imprisonment at Glenarm. You had dared me to follow you, when you knew that my grandfather was living and watching to see whether I kept faith with him. If you can tell me, if there's an answer to that, I shall never tell you anything. You were so eager to think ill of me, to accuse me. It was because I love you. It was my jealousy of that man, my boyhood enemy, that made me catch at any doubt. You are so beautiful. You're so much a part of the peace, the charm of all this. I had hoped for spring, for you and the spring together. Oh, please. Her flight had shaken the toque to an unwanted angle. Her breath came quick and hard as she tugged at the latch eagerly. The light from overhead was full upon us, but I could not go with hope and belief struggling unsatisfied in my heart. I seized her hands and sought to look into her eyes. But you challenged me to follow you. I want to know why you did that. She drew away, struggling to free herself. Why was it, Marion? Because I, I wanted... "'Yes. I wanted you to come, Squire Glenarm.' Three times spring has wakened the sap in the Glenarm woods since that night. Yesterday I tore March from the calendar. April in Indiana. She is an impudent tomboy who whistles at the window, points to the sunshine, and, when you go hopefully forth, summons the clouds and pelts you with snow. The austere old woodland, wise from long acquaintance, finds no joy in her. The walnut and the hickory have a higher respect for the stormier qualities of December. April in Indiana. She was just there by the wall, where now the bluebird pauses dismayed and waits again the flash of her golden sandals. She bent there at the lakeside the splash of a raindrop ago and tentatively poked the thin, brittle ice with the pink tips of her little fingers. April in the heart. It brings back the sweet wonder and awe of those days three years ago when Marion and I, waiting for June to come, knew a joy that thrilled our hearts like the tumult of the first robin's song. The marvel of it all steals over me again as I hear the riot of melody in meadow and wood and catch through the window the flash of eager wings. My history of the affair at Glenarm has overrun the bounds I had set for it, and these, I submit, are not days for the desk and the pen. Marion is turning over the sheets of manuscript that lie at my left elbow and demanding that I drop work for a walk abroad. My grandfather is pacing the terrace outside, planning, no doubt, those changes in the grounds that are his constant delight. Of some of the persons concerned in this winter's tale, let me say a word more. The prisoner whom Larry left behind, we discharged, after several days, with all the honors of war, and, I may add without breach of confidence, a comfortable indemnity. Larry has made a reputation by his book on Russia, a searching study into the conditions of the Tsar's empire, and having squeezed that lemon, he's now in Tibet. His father had secured from the British government a promise of immunity for Larry, 
so long as that amiable adventurer keeps away from Ireland. My friend's latest letters to me contain, I note, no reference to the sod. Bates is in California, conducting a fruit ranch, and when he visited us last Christmas, he bore all the marks of a gentleman whom the world uses well. Stoddard's life has known many changes in these years, but they must wait for another day, and perhaps another historian. Suffice it to say that it was he who married us, Marion and me, in the little chapel by the wall, and that when he comes now and then to visit us, we renew our impression of him as a man large of body and of soul. Sister Teresa continues at the head of St. Agatha's, and she and the other sisters of her brown-clad company are delightful neighbors. Pickering's failure and subsequent disappearance were described sufficiently in the newspapers, and his name is never mentioned at Glenarm. As for myself, Marion is tapping the floor restlessly with her boot, and I must hasten. I must say that I'm no idler. It was I who carried on the work of finishing Glenarm House, and I managed the farms which my grandfather has lately acquired in this neighborhood. But better still, from my own point of view, I maintain in Chicago an office as consulting engineer, and I've already had several important commissions. Glenarm House is now what my grandfather had wished to make it, a beautiful and dignified mansion. He insisted on filling up the tunnel, so that the door of bewilderment is no more. The passage in the wall and the strong box in the paneling of the chimney breast remain, though the latter we now use as a hiding place for certain prized bottles of rare whiskey, which John Marshall Glenarm ordains shall be taken down only on Christmas Eve, to drink the health of Olivia Gladys Armstrong. That young woman, I may add, is now a belle in her own city, and of the scores of youngsters all the way from Pittsburgh to New Orleans who lay siege to her heart, my word is, may the best man win. And now, at the end, it may seem idle vanity for a man still young to write at so great a length of his own affairs, but it must have been clear that mine is the humblest figure in this narrative. I wish to set forth an honest account of my grandfather's experiment in looking into this world from another, and he has himself urged me to write down these various incidents while they are still fresh in my memory. Marion, the most patient of women, is walking toward the door, eager for the sunshine, the free airs of spring, the blue vistas lakeward, and at last, I am ready to go. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, for the House of a Thousand Candles, by Meredith Nicholson. If you enjoyed our story, and you're an Apple listener, please do take a moment and send us a review for 1001 Stories for the Road. We would appreciate that very much. To all of you who stayed with us through this story, it's great to have you with us as listeners and fans, and we appreciate your being here. As of this moment, I haven't decided what the next story is, but you can bet I'll be getting back with you real soon. Thanks, everyone, for being a part of 1001 Stories Network and for helping to support us, especially those who have taken the time and a couple dollars a month to support us at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. We appreciate that very much. Everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.